What I would like to talk about this evening is images of perfection. Iris Murdoch once wrote that the freedom from fantasy is the beginning of human liberation. The fantasies that limit us are not the fantasies of dreams or imagination. The fantasies that limit us lie much more in our beliefs about who we are and who we should be. The fantasies that limit us lie in our self-images and the images that we project upon the world and upon other people. The fantasies that limit us lie in the stereotypes that we somehow come to accept as being valid and authentic models of how we should live and what we should become. To really understand what is true and what is genuine and what is authentic about ourselves and about the world, we need to be willing to renounce and to banish that which is false. Throughout our lives, we are endlessly exposed to images of perfection. They stare at us from the billboards and from the ads in magazines and papers. They reach out to us from television screens, from the fairy tales we listen to as children. We inherit images of perfection from our teachers, our parents, and our peers. And we also construct our own images of perfection, construct them on, our, on the basis of our own fears of disapproval and rejection, and on the basis of our di- desires to be acceptable and to win approval. All of this is the food of fantasies. All of this is the breeding ground of stereotypes and models which form the basis of those fantasies. And all of these grow into the fantasies which become demons that overshadow our lives. We may say that we are not haunted by these fantasies. But then we should ask ourselves what it is that leads us to compare ourselves to someone else in any way? What leads us to judge ourselves? What is the basis of those judgments? What is it that leads us in our lives to endlessly alter and to modify our bodies, our minds, our personalities? When we say we're not haunted by fantasies, we should ask ourselves what leads us to turn away from, to suppress, or to avoid aspects of our own being, to look upon aspects of our own being with aversion, with negativity, or with contempt. In relationship to other people, what leads us to condemn others, to judge to dismiss them, what leads us to compare one other person to another. 
we are conditioned to believe that anything less than perfection is unacceptable. That anything less than perfection is a sign of personal failure and of inadequacy. And we are conditioned to strive for and to pursue perfection really in every area of our lives. We learn that perfection is expected of us and we learn to expect it of ourselves. And I think it is true that we have learned these lessons the hard way. When we have not in our lives conformed to the expectations or to the images or to the models that are extended to us. That failure to conform very rarely brings us rewards or applause. Instead, that failure to conform generally brings us disapproval and rejection and pain. We've learned the lessons about the importance of perfection on an individual level in our lives. And generations of women have learned this lesson also the hard way. The images and the expectations of perfection have changed and have altered at different times in our culture. But all of those images of perfection are tied to appearance, to performance, to presentation, Images of perfection are tied to becoming and to conformity. Images of perfection rarely, if ever, have anything to do at all with being, with authenticity, or with wisdom. Our individual sense, our inner sense of bondage and limitation is really very directly linked to the degree to which we subscribe to these images and fantasies of perfection. Our inner dignity and integrity and freedom is very clearly linked to the degree to which we are willing to step outside of the pursuit of perfection, the ideal of perfection which mostly seems so elusive fantasies of perfection and ideals of perfection form the basis of self-denial and the way that is compensated for in the desire to become someone or something. And really, isn't this what so much of the struggle and so much of the unhappiness in our lives is just all about? finding a lack of acceptance in the present, the movement to deny that, and the movement to reach something else. That gap between what we condemn as being unacceptable and our desire for acceptability and perfection forms the basis of most of the fears that we experience and forms the basis truly of the limitations we experience. A journey which is concerned with freedom, with being, with happiness, and with peace, 
It's a journey of really learning to step out of the web of conditioning, both outwardly and inwardly. It is a journey where there truly is a revolution of our lives and our hearts that allows us to say no very clearly to the unacceptable, that allows us to say no very clearly, to refuse to give consent to to refuse to give authority to anything that limits us. Fantasies, models, stereotypes, ideals of perfection, and only in pain. Our journey, too, is about understanding our own inner dynamics and forces that really lead us to give consent and authority to that which has no genuine authority. Stereotypes are models of perfection. They are images that are pursued and they are strived for. Images of perfection seem to wear a kind of halo. They signal arrival. They signal that a destination has been reached. We have those images of perfection socially, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. The halo that those images of perfection wear is the halo of goodness. They have to do with appearance and perfection. And within our own stories, we have endless examples of this goodness, this halo of goodness. Examples come to us through the mythical stories of our heroines and our princesses who really teach us that passivity and that beauty and that submissiveness and that goodness will bring us rewards. That they'll bring us the rewards of salvation and love and completion. We have models of physical perfection, perfection about our bodies, that tell us what we need to do to appear acceptable and lovable, what we need to become. And those models, too, the winning of them, promises the same rewards of acceptance, affirmation, and applause. We meet those models constantly. It would be so incredibly refreshing to open a magazine and see pictures of wrinkled, aging women with flabby behinds and sinking thighs. <laughs> Instead, the models that we are exposed to, the models of perfection that we are exposed to, tell us again and teach us again and again about our own unacceptability and our own imperfection. But they promise us that we can strive for perfection and that it is possible to reach perfection through alteration, through modification, through change. It, to me, is an incredible tragedy that in the lives of many women, the pursuit of overcoming cellulite has replaced, replaced the pursuit of overcoming dirt as their mission in life. There was a survey done in America. <laughs> I'm sure it's not confined to America. 
There was a survey done of a thousand women to ask them what was their greatest dream in life. A very large percentage said that their greatest dream was to lose weight. Financial empires and fortunes are essentially based on women's self-hatred and rejection of their bodies. Armies of cosmeticians and surgeons await women with open arms, eager to help them become someone else, eager to address that desire for perfection. The models of perfection that are extended to us about our personalities, about how we should present ourselves to the world, how we should be, offer us endless possibilities for inner busyness. There's so much to do, so very, very much to do. Our whole lives can be about this. Our whole lives can be about rejection and modifying working, changing, and altering. We too have spiritual models of perfection. Fortunately too, it extends here, models of spiritual excellence about what we should become and what we should experience. The image of the Madonna is becoming increasingly popular. She's truly no friend of ours. She is admired for meekness, admired for self-sacrifice, admired for her generosity, and most particularly admired for her goodness. But it is a curious actuality that the more the Madonna, wearing that halo of goodness, is venerated, that is the degree to which the actual spiritual potential of countless numbers of women becomes increasingly limited and oppressed. Every time we judge ourselves, every time we reject ourselves, every time we have a comparison, every time we have a judgment about our inner experience, our spiritual experience, our bodies, our minds, we are in that moment encountering the power of our models. Perfection implies rightness. And it implies goodness. And the desire, uh, the, the desire for goodness, the desire for perfection, has an inevitable, com inevitable companion. And the inevitable companion of the desire for goodness and perfection is the need and the striving to be good enough. The fear of and the belief in imperfection fear of not being good enough. We can easily become casualties of this pursuit of goodness and the pursuit of perfection, craving throughout our lives acceptance and approval and affirmation above all else, treading a path that has been well beaten by those who have traveled it before us, the path of striving and its companion self-negation the path of conformity and its companion self-denial, the path of comparison and its companion self-judgment, the pursuit of goodness and its companion of not being good enough. It is really time we learned very deeply and profoundly some new lessons in our lives. 
No one can offer to us what we are not able to offer to ourselves. This is a basic truth. No one can offer to us in a way that we believe and trust praise, acceptance, love, or freedom until we are able to offer them to ourselves. No one is authorized and no one is qualified to tell us in any way who we should be, how we should appear, what we should produce, or what we should become. No one and no model can assume that authority unless unless it is given to them. And no one can travel this journey for us, no matter how wise, no matter how loving, no matter how close they are to us. No one can actually see through our eyes. No one can actually discover what freedom is except ourselves. These are not objects, possessions that can be delivered, nor can they be rewarded. The pursuit of goodness and the conformity to models of perfection only takes place when the director of this whole operation is in place. And the director of this whole operation is the censor, the judge, the watchdog that is given a central role in our being. And the critic, the watchdog, is always ready, is, never sleeps. Other parts of ourselves sleep. (laughs) Never the judge. I don't know if you've noticed that. Constantly awake. How we would like to be, but in a different form. Ever present. Even spiritually, it becomes an enlightened sensor. It has a new vocabulary. It has new objectives and new goals. It is always ready to point out and to highlight imperfection and failure and weakness. And that, that role, that identity, of course, doesn't take place in a vacuum. The long history of the sense and the judge, the history it has is that because it carries a certain baggage of values and beliefs and images of perfection to which are ascribed a kind of absolute value. Whose voice are you listening to when you negate or reject aspects of your own being that tell you that this is not good enough, that tell you all about imperfection? Who are you listening to when you find yourself intent on manipulation or modification or alteration of your body, your mind, your personality, or your experience? Who are you listening to when you compare yourself to someone else? We should listen closely. We should really listen closely. And just to ask ourselves, does this really bring us greater freedom? Does this listening really bring us greater integrity or truthfulness or dignity to our lives? Or does obeying that voice perhaps perhaps, and this is a big perhaps, bring us rewards of safety and approval and affirmation. And is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? Just what do we lose in that transaction?
spiritual life, a spiritual journey, a path of meditation, it doesn't offer us um, a wonderful, orderly set of solutions and answers for difficulties and issues. Hopefully, it doesn't present us either with new stereotypes or new models of excellence that we feel obliged to pursue or to conform to. In this path, we are not looking for spiritual clones. We are not looking for anybody to wear a halo. And we are not pursuing perfection. That really is what the adventure and the mystery of this journey is all about. It is also why it is at times painful and at times very frightening. Because there is so much uncertainty and so few guarantees. It would actually be much more comfortable for most people if we began a retreat laying down the goalposts and said, look, this is what we're going for. (laughs) And let's all go for it together. If we said, look, this is what we're leaving behind and these are the rules. You know, then we could all kind of get organized (laughs) and play the game. And we could think in terms of achievable aims and achievable attainments. And we would have kind of, you know, things we could present and we would have signposts, signposts, only for a few signposts, you know. You long for signposts, you know, is it getting better? Is this a sign that it's getting better? Is it getting worse, you know? Only we had a few signposts on this map that said, yes, you're well on your way, you know? Or you're nearer to the end than you are to the beginning, you know? Unfortunately, we don't have any of that. And this is a great blessing. We really don't have here any models of spiritual excellence. That's a little puzzling for us, because in our lives we have this, we know what to go for. Here we're not so certain. But also we surely have enough experience in our lives to know how totally lifeless these preordained maps are and to how, how totally lacking in vitality it is to follow a path of conformity. Too many paths and too many cults offer these stereotypes that we should conform to. And they offer exactly the same rewards of approval and affirmation and praise if we conform, and exactly the same threats of rejection and fail and censoring if we don't conform. This is the game we want to leave behind. We've had enough of this game. It doesn't serve us well. We don't want to continue it in retreats, and we don't want to continue it in our inner journeys, please. It is enough. It is time to leave that game behind. It is only a prison of gold. 
rather than a prison of iron that we left behind in our lives. In my own practice, I went through this many times. I, I was the best convert in the world. When I studied Tibetan Buddhism, I was more Tibetan than the Tibetan you ever met. <laughs> you know, I never went anywhere without my mala. You know, I never stopped saying mantras. You know, I, I dressed like a Tibetan. I spoke Tibetan. I ate Tibetan food. You know, and I was so righteous. <laughs> Incredibly. And then I became something else. You know, with different clothes, different outfit, different wardrobe, in different sitting position, you know, different this, different that, the same kind of convert mind. You know, a clone who needs it. That is not what this path is about. It is certainly not what freedom is about. Hopefully we don't do that here. And hopefully we don't do it inwardly, and hopefully we don't perceive that outwardly. Hopefully we are willing to learn the wisdom of uncertainty, and the wisdom of living without guarantees. Hopefully we're willing to learn a kind of freedom that is not governed by rewards. And try not to do that in your own practice. You know, if I manage to finish this sitting, I get a cup of tea. In a, if I do three sittings in a row, I get an extra plate at lunch. You know? <laughs> Try not to do that here. It is setting up the same rules and the same games inwardly. The demand for perfection and the pursuit of perfection causes a whirlwind in our lives and a whirlwind in ourselves. It creates endless busyness. As long as we are pursuing perfection, we cannot allow anything to be because we are always in a process of becoming. We can never allow ourselves to be because we are always in a process of becoming. Nor can we allow that gift of openness to anything in our, anyone else in our worlds. The pursuit of perfection and the denial of imperfection is the denial of ourselves it also denies to ourselves a gift of wonder, the gift of connection. I would like to talk about apples again. We keep talking about apples. Ryan talked about apples last night, and I talked about apples the other night. We have to think about apples on this routine. Well, we know about this demand for perfection in our culture. How we demand it of everything, in our service, what we buy, what we produce, what we consume. You know, everything has to be perfect. As you use the analogy of a shopping trip, you go to the supermarket to buy an apple. You want a perfect apple. Now, that desire is shared by a lot of people. <laughs> we all want perfect apples. So because of that desire, we have actually managed in our world to produce the perfect apple. You've noticed they all look the same, exactly the same. One little apple looks exactly like another little apple. But we're willing to overlook that sameness because those apples actually conform to our ideas of what the perfect apple is. Now that perfect apple actually has little to do with life. It has very little to do with nature. It just totally manipulates hormones, sprays, polishes, 
Everything's gone into making that perfect apple. It has nothing to do with how things are. Apples of nature have blemishes. They have different shapes. Sometimes they even have bruises. That is the apple of nature. That is the apple of life. It has a story, that apple, with its bruises and its blemishes and its different shape. That apple is really unique. It has a story. It has a history. It can, we can really relate to this apple. When we demand perfection and subdue the imperfect, it seems that we are willing to sacrifice both uniqueness and life in many areas of our life. Some years ago, I had the, the opportunity to work in a um, Cheshire home where people live um, who have multiple disabilities. And there was this uh, quite remarkable woman there who um, had been born with incredible disability. I mean, you know, couldn't talk well, never had walked, never had really sat up on her own. Uh, you know, body very twisted, and etc., etc. I mean, really, I mean, she was quite remarkable. She got a degree, she painted, she did an enormous number of things. She was incredibly alive. And after we got to know her a little while, she said, you know, why do people always shout at me? You know, people always shout at me. They shout at me because they don't have to come close to me, because so that they don't have to see me. They don't have to acknowledge that this imperfection might have anything to do with their lives, might be something that is worthy of relating to me. So they shout at me all the time. People shout at me here perfectly well. People shout at me all day long. People shout at me my whole life. We can try to keep actuality away through hanging on to these ideals of perfection. Actuality has an unfortunate way of intruding on our lives. In meditation practice, we are actually asked to drop our words, to drop our comparisons, to drop our conclusions. We are asked to let go of the pursuit of perfection. Now, what happens? What would happen? If we were to let go of our judgments, if we were really to let go of our conclusions and our values, not to say that they don't arise, but that we simply don't quite take them quite so seriously. If we are willing to do this, what I actually experience is that we also drop a great deal of our busyness. When we don't actually feel obliged to rid ourselves of things, to fix things, to alter, to modify, to make things perfect, essentially we let go of most of our busyness. Think of the thoughts you've had today. <coughs> Think of the judgments. Think of the times you felt overwhelmed by thoughts and activity. What is all of that? What really is it? See how much of it is the movement towards something and the movement away from something the movement of rejection, and the movement of pursuit, the movement of recycling how things should be. 
What happens if we no longer fear or hold in contempt the imperfect? The thoughts and the feelings and the sensations arise without any prejudice, not caught in judgment. None of those thoughts or feelings or sensations are in any way a personal reflection of who we are. They are thoughts and feelings and sensations, expressions of life, expressions of our own life. It is the dance without the dancer. That is what is left. The sounds, the sights, the people, the objects, ourselves, are expressing their own uniqueness. They are offerings. They are just what is, and we find we can greet them. Then we don't think in terms of perfection. We don't think in terms of imperfection. What we see is just suchness. This is just suchness. And there's a vastness of appreciation and gratitude for that suchness. We're invited really to explore a qualitatively different way of seeing and being in this exploration. To take away, to take our judgments and our projections and our images away from our relationship to this moment is really to take away the center. Just to take away the center, the center of self in us and the center of self in all things. To take away the center, what is left is just suchness, the dance of arising and passing, profound sense of emptiness. And sometimes the question arises then, if I take all that away, or if all that is just dropped, if there is no dancer in the dance, if there is no center in the whirlwind, then surely everything would be meaningless. Surely it wouldn't even make any difference whether I watch the breath or don't watch the breath. Surely it wouldn't make any difference whether I live with love or hatred, whether I live with compassion or anger. But this is not understanding of emptiness. This is just understanding of absence or negation. And certainly to I, this is a very depressing possibility, it must be said. The self perceives emptiness as its greatest en enemy. I mean, what's it going to do? What's there going to be left to do? But then there's that fear of meaninglessness, of just being a blob, you know, hanging out in a zafu for the rest of your life. <laughs> sort of no direction, no motivation, no vision, you know, just kind of absorbed in the universe of emptiness. This is not really what it's all about. Emptiness has nothing to do with the absence of things. And it might be true to say that in the unfoldment of the universe, in the dance of the universe, it might be true to say that, you know, each one of us really is, you know, fairly um, insignificant. <laughs> but it would also be true to say that each one of us is actually a profound and a unique expression of suchness and truth. And it is possible to live in the profound nobility of that spirit, to be present in the presence of all things, to welcome all things, 
to be generous and compassionate in the presence of all things. Not thinking in terms of perfect or imperfect, not thinking in terms of good or not good enough. In the presence of suchness, in the presence of just being what is, is discovery of a great wonder of being that makes no demands of ourselves, no demands of the world, but instead where we really truly feel to be a conscious and alive and a creative participant in the unfoldment of each moment, there's a quality of grace in that emptiness, resting in unshakable trust in our own awareness, in our own wakefulness, not deceived by the unreal, not deceived by models, not deceived by images, not deceived by judgments. That grace is something that is always possible for us. It is always available to us. And there are many times when we need to remind ourselves of this, that this is not a reward for becoming perfect, but that grace and suchness and being is actually always possible to us. It is always available to us. We need to remember at times to let go of the struggle, to let ourselves be touched, to let ourselves be touched by that quality of grace that is always possible, to make no demands of ourselves, no demands of the moment, no demands of conformity to images of perfection. And there are no prisons. There are no walls in, there are no boundaries. There are no fantasies about becoming. And in so many ways, this is truly the heart of the practice, the heart of this journey, is learning how to be touched by what is already there, to see the suchness in all things, to be present in all things, to open to that quality of being present, to that open to that possibility of being awake, May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with an open heart. We could have a, a couple of minutes quietly together.